Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that does not necessarily look at players that are the most marketable or make the most sense from an entertainment perspective. It is time, once again, to do a little stargazing. Uh, there's more people than I can count, apparently, on tonight's call, so we'll just do round-robin style. Who, who's here? Who, who wants to say hi first? Mark. Hola. <laughs> Yo. Yo. <laughs> the worst... <laughs> the worst musketeers ever but uh we're, we're gonna get through this thing together it, it is a big group um there is a lot to talk about of course the uh since the last time we spoke there has been a uh, further conflagration in the john klingberg drama uh, there has been an absolutely scorching night by mr joe pavelski and the stars have uh, gone down in flames and then perhaps attempted to go down in flames in a couple of uh, hallmark late period performances so there's there's a lot to talk about but i, I want to start with a, a, a little uh, an appetizer something a little bit a little bit brighter as we sit here of course it's thursday night as we sit here talking the dallas stars are actually um, hovering on the fringes there three points out of a playoff spot as we record tonight. And they've got four games in hand over San Jose, who are the occupants of that playoff spot. So I know that that last time we spoke, we we did a big bit on how important, um, you know, how, how while they had some some rays of sunshine, they had to win some games. And they've been doing that. So let's let's do well, I'm gonna put you on the spot first, Tyler, then we'll go down the list. But let's do a quick scale of one to ten. What is your optimism check right now for the Dallas Stars as a playoff participant this season? Uh, well, I'll probably, I've been a pessimistic, I'll say solid four or five, unless it's a home game, in which case it's a 15. <laughs> Sad and it hurts, but it's right. How about, oh man, how about you, Mark? I'm going with five. I, th- I think it's just right there where if we have home performance, uh, we're in by a long ways. If it's road performance, we're uh, we got a lottery pick. I, I guess I would go with maybe like a six just because like I feel like a lot of the I hate to say, I hate to be the optimist because I'm not the optimist on this. I'm definitely not going to be that with the other topics, but I think six just because I think a lot of the teams that they're fighting over are just bad teams like San Jose is not all that Edmonton. You know, uh, yeah. No, I mean that's that's your if if you're arguing that Dallas gets in, it's because you're looking ahead of them and seeing like, okay, well, um, Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Jose, right? It's real hard to imagine all three of those teams staying in the playoff picture, let alone you know, and, and Dallas really only needs one or two of them to falter. So I that's you know, I think I'm coming in about a seven today because yeah, they're they're lousy on the road but they're fantastic at home and that'll probably nickel and dime them into the eight spot in an early exit so hey you know things are looking up right well and if it's the eighth slot they they'll probably end up out in the pacific and there they may be able to do some damage oh my god if only well that yeah, is i guess then the they, only don't, then they don't have home ice advantage and so therefore you know they they lose in game seven right <laughs> pretty much set in stone and let's, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it. Forget it. We're, we, we have our, we are, we are gonna get to the stuff that I talked about in the, in the running show. But we were, we were talking in the pre-call. This is, this is driving me completely up the wall. There was, um, Saad had a typically fantastic and insightful piece on the Athletic, talking about the performance of the Pavelski line, which was fantastic, right? I guess we'll, we'll talk Joey's five points last night. Um, the, the line was, was all of that and a bag of chips. 
And they're talking afterwards, and, and it was interesting. Uh, Bonus took a little detour to two. He didn't downplay, obviously, the, con- the contributions of that line because they were fantastic. But the interesting thing was he took a little bit of a side trip to point out that as great as it is that the first line is playing well, wouldn't it be fantastic? And the team, in fact, needs um, other lines to contribute. The, the money quote was, that line is going to need some help, especially when we go on the road and the other team gets last matchup. They need some help. And we've got it this weekend from some other, and we've got to get it this weekend from some other players on the team. Um, and you know, my blood boiled a little bit. I know it's, it's coach speak, right? So disclaimer, he's, he's trying to motivate. It's, it's, you know, what, what coach sits down and actually gives you, you know, earnest tactical insight, but hearing that from a coach of a team that is 14, three and one at home and four, 10 and one on the road, I, I admit that a, a part of my response was, well, yes, they, they do need some help and it would be fantastic if the coach were to provide that help. Um, and am I overreacting in my anger towards Rick bonus? Well, and, and the problem is at the same time, you're you're talking about a game where they brought up Rhett Gardner, who'd been getting, who has one goal in the AHL, has been getting third and fourth line minutes down there. Meanwhile, you have Riley Damiani, who scores one goal in his one game up, and he's and he's down there. So now he's on the taxi squad. But hey, if you want help on the offensive end, bring up some offensive players. You know, if only there was a promising prospect that had had an offensive season of note in the AHL last season. If, if only there was that guy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is a good point, right? So so from a, a personnel perspective, they're celebrating the, you know, the return of Tanner Caro to the lineup and the insertion of Rhett Gardner. And those are not things that are, are really going to lead to a dramatic uptick in secondary scoring. So, um you know, I guess, Dave, I'll put this question to you. What what can this team do, in your estimation, to find some options outside of that first line? I don't understand the sort of the brain gravy that goes on with the line combinations. And and I'm not trying to, like, I, I, listen, like, I think the main thing is, like, I think the piece, even though Jim Neal has not done a great job with bringing in offensive help, his idea mm-hmm. was, oh, man, we got 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 to bring it. Cogliano and Dickinson. Oh my God, let's, let's bring in Raffle and Glenn Denning to help the offensive problem. Yes. Jim is an issue, but it's like, you don't need to overthink this in galaxy brain it by putting like Kira with Sagan or like, Oh man, Robertson's injured. Let's just ditch the whole plan from last season and the preseason of Bennett center, because we've got to keep this new FCC line. And so I've, I've said it before, like I, you know, and I even wrote about it, right. Which is that on the road, you should consider splitting up the hints line. And I only say that because heresy, because (laughs) we, because we we have officially earned the explicit rating for this podcast. (laughs) And I say that just because, just because the, the, the in this case, Dolan, Hints, Robertson, Pavelski, Dolan, their impact is a theoretical problem by splitting them up. The fact that you have one regulation win on the road is an actual problem. So why not? I mean, you're willing to put Red Gardner in the roster for no good reason. Why, why not experiment with the actual like contributors on the roster and, and arrange them in a way that, I don't know, adds offense, makes sense? I, I think it, the, the and, and Tyler, I want to get your, your take on this here in just a second, but I want to pounce on, on one thing you just said is, is there a more Dallas Stars thing than to dull, like, than to avoid solving an actual problem? for fear of creating a theoretical problem that may or may not exist. Right. I mean, isn't that, that's the entire, the entire play style is predicated on let's have as few things as hap as, as happen possible. Right. And then if, if nothing happens, then we won't not win. I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because that's where sign up my mindset is at. Like I even like point this out there, like during the uh, cracking game, it's like, you know, I think Dallas has, the talent available that they could be a highly offensive team. But I think what you have is because of that system and kind of that whole, you know, trying to just make the game boring, you know, just limit down the action and just slow things down, especially when they have a lead. I think that just, to me, it's kind of more of a structure problem because you see, you know, bonus is saying, Oh, 
we have an issue because when we go on the road, our top line, they get the first, you know, choice of matchup and that shuts down our, our top line. It's like, okay, well, if every team comes in that issue and you don't see all these other teams, their top lines are completely shut down when they go on the road or they're only your, their coach are saying, Oh yeah, they're just only effective at home. Like I think you kind of have to, if you see it as a problem, then, Oh, we have issues once they get the first matchup. And then I think that's your job as a job as a coach to, you know, scheme against that, whether that's, you know, like David said, you split up the lineup. So you can't shut down all three of them. Or if it's saying, okay, that means your top defenders are going to be against their top line. You know, let me put my second line, you know, take advantage of that against some of your weaker defenders. So to me, it's just kind of that scheme and that style that the team is playing that they're kind of just over relying on the, you know, team's point producers and the team offense based on pure talent, which is why they're really doing well, especially at home. But once you're trying to actually get into strategy, that's when the stars are lacking and falling behind. Well, I think it gets into, uh, and just to give this a little bit of context, right? So the the, the that top line, the 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 Pavelski and Sons line, is sitting at you know, their Corsi four is like sixty three point three six at home. Expected goals is like seventy point three one, right? So legit elite be terrified that this line is coming over the board type of performance when they play at home on the road. It drops Corsi goes from 63 to 44 and expected goals goes from 70 to 48. Right. So they go from being, you know, legitimate world beaters to being underwater on the road. And the, 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 the thing I think to your point, Tyler, and the thing that, that gets me going is to me. And then, you know, Mark, I want to bring you back in. So I'll, I'll, point this question firmly at you. Am, am I incorrect? When I look at that, you're basically saying this team is either incapable of making an adjustment from a system standpoint, right? They can't figure it out. Or the only other alternative is that, okay, well, then there are three good offensive players, Pavelski, Hines, you know, Robertson. And it to say that, that, nothing can be done systemically is to look at Ben and Sagan and Radulov and Gurionov and to some degree Haskinen and Klingberg and Suter and you know the the players that aren't those three to look at them and say well they're garbage and they can't be expected to produce well I think I think that's exactly what they're saying I mean what 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 they're what they're doing is they're taking their top defensive shutdown you know, forwards and defenders and putting them on our top line and and pretty much saying that you don't have enough firepower underneath those three to beat us. And and I hate to say it, but yeah, it's kind of proven the to be correct so far. And I mean, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just a homer. And yeah, this is definitely a homer podcast. So, you know, you know what you were getting into when you click the link. But I just I think that it's insane to look, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, that Jamie Ben's going to threaten his second art Ross. Like that's, that's not going to happen. But to me, it's insane to look at all of the names outside of the front three and to think, Oh, well, they're not going to do anything. Like you, you yeah. shouldn't be able to load up on this team. It's insane. I, I kind of beg to differ that you, you, you obviously can't. I mean, you, and, yes, you obviously, <laughs> you obviously can. It's, it's the proof is there, but I guess that's, that's what I'm saying. And that's where my, my, the source of my frustration is I still, after all of this time, I still, I, I cannot wrap my head around the idea that it is a talent issue. I, I mean, I think part of it comes into what David was talking about earlier about, you know, what the talent and offensive help you bring in, because, I think the stars, and this has been an issue for Dallas for you know quite a while. I mean, currently the super line is Pavelski, uh, Robertson, and Heinz, but you know it used to be uh, Ben Sagan and Radulov or Ben Sagan Spetsa or whoever. Like I think the issue is that you basically the stars typically have these three players that are doing really well, and then they have the potential for players who can fill in that nice second line role. But the issue is if those players, you know, are struggling or if they're kind of falling short or something like that for whatever reason, you know, cold streak, uh, you know, player decline, whatever. uh, When you get to the bottom half of the roster and you get to that third and fourth line, they're built to just be, you know, pure defensive and shut down and maybe they'll chip in a goal here and there. So I, I think the issue is when you have, you know, that 
quote unquote, like second line or something that that's struggling. You just don't have, or the stars choose not to deploy players that could provide that extra spark. And so what happens is, you know, because the quote unquote second line is struggling, you only have one scoring third option. The other team just shuts them down and boom, you're lucky if you get a, a goal or two in the game. But if you're if you're doing this, don't you have to take a step back and start going back to the old theory of picking pairs that work together? And and I think if you take a look at it that way, the lineups for what you want on the road actually just kind of fall into place. And I think the pairings that you take a look at are Ben and Sagan with with a third who who can be complementary, and and that probably is Peterson right now. I mean, it was then Peterson last it, night, right? Right. But then then you also take a look at Hintz and Gurionov as a pair who've shown success in the past. And, and maybe you keep uh, keep Robertson with them. That's a that's an incredibly talented line that brings speed into the mix. And and with Robertson, that, that's all kind of intangibles. And then what I keep coming back to that nobody seems to remember is if you take a look at the beginning of last season, the the pair that got off to such a hot start was Radulov and Pavelski. I mean, those two together with Kivaranta were, were kind of putting up numbers the same way that uh, that Hintz, uh, Robertson, and Pavelski are doing this year. But injuries, injuries put an end to that, and we never went back to it. And so if you put those two with Kivaranta like they did last year, I think all three of those lines have the ability to be highly successful and to put pucks in the net. And Not it still leaves you with uh, it still leaves you with with your uh, Fox uh, FCC whatever you want to call it <laughs> and the cave-in line. Yeah. yeah. Not, not only that, but remember that Faxa only score, only got on his quote unquote hot streak early in the season because of some time with Pavelski as well. It, to me, yep. it just seems like such a failure of just broad player analysis as well, because I, I look at like Robertson, Hintz and Pavelski and they're great, but they're great, not just because of the sum, but also the parts. And I'm like, what if, if they get miss if they get taken apart, is Robertson going to lose his like doggedness and his playmaking all of a sudden, like is Hintz going to lose his speed. He had like a ton of chances early in the season without Robertson, a ton. He just wasn't scoring. That's all it was. I mean, that, that is, I, I, I think that's another fantastic point. It's kind of that myopic thinking, right? So, so then the premise of being unable to split that first line is then you're just saying, okay, well, then they're incapable of doing anything else separated, which as has been just pointed out, that's not, history doesn't bear that out. And so it, it yeah, just comes back. Yeah. Sorry, please. No, I, I was just going to say it's demonstrably crap. I mean, there's definitely a kind of a case with the stars where, you know, they have a lineup that's working and then something stops it, whether it's injuries or, you know, they're just having some bad games or whatnot. So then the lineup gets shuffled and then eventually a new line comes forward and starts performing well. And then it's like, oh, now that's working. Now we got to go with that. And there's kind of like this mindset of we don't really try and the only line, the only like trio we ever seen that uh, bonus ever seems to try and go back and try again is Ben Singh and Radulov. It's like every other line combination, it feels like, oh, no, sorry, that's, you know, in the past, you know, I think it's definitely like an idea of, you know, kind of what's working now and then just stick with that. And then when it slows down, ditch it and move on and not go back. Go back to the security right. blanket. I, I, I will I, say, part of me does wonder and lament a little bit, and it's just been one game. But could could Gurionov have, or even Radulov, to that for that matter, could they have picked a worse moment to go into the COVID protocol and and be unavailable? True, it's kind of going against what what I was talking about the last time, where where the stars had kind of all gone off at once, and now it turns out that's not true. So we're suffering with with all the other teams now. And those two were part of what was uh, solidifying, except uh, Radulov is Radulov is such an interesting case to me because he's one guy on the stars who kind of needs people who can anticipate what crazy things he's going to do. Yep. And fourth liners aren't going to do that. And and so by by putting Radulov on the fourth line, you're, you're kind of telling him, yeah, hustle all you want, but you're going to chunk it into the center and nobody's going to be there to put it away. So so why put in the effort? Which is I, the I inverse. Feel, I feel sorry for him. Which is the inverse of the Gurianov situation early in the season, just like with passes instead of shoot, shooting. Exactly. Yeah, and, and again, I think it, it goes back to there's not a lot of – they just don't 
You can even use that same brush to look at the performance of a guy like Miro Haskinen, who's tailed off a little bit scoring-wise, and even to some degree John Klingberg using the Radulov um, kind of outline that you just talked about in that this team plays a style that minimizes the impact of guys that, that you know, when it, it, they limit Miro's ability to get from the blue line into the play, right? They limit the impact of John Klingberg's ability to get the puck out of the defensive zone on a stick, right? Or into the offensive zone with possession, right? The team just doesn't prioritize those things. And my my theory is that by by doing that, it, it you know, you raise your floor, right? Because if you're always dumping and chasing, then it's much less likely somebody's going to do something dumb. But the flip side of that is you wind up where, to a certain degree, the entire team is a little bit of Alex Radulov with nobody to pass to. Right. The, the, the system becomes the two kind of stone handed wingers that don't know where to go, don't know what to do, don't know how to anticipate. Right. It, it's, it's like you put together, you, you start with your top line and then you kind of mix and match the rest of the pieces and the leftovers you throw together on the fourth line with with no with no mental uh, gymnastics that you're going through to say that this is how that fourth line is supposed to work. It's just the remaining parts. But and, and I think as well, you also it's the same as as and and you know Tyler David, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it also feels like you do that and then you tell all of those lines to play the exact same way. At yep. which point, what's the point of tinkering with combinations if all of the combinations are just doing the same things anyways? I mean, no, I, I mean I think you're kind of hitting it on the head. I think that they're all taught to try and play that kind of low impact, you know minimize mistakes and then kind of like a oh well if we just you know wait long enough then those then the opportunity will arise and we'll score or whatnot and so i think as long that, as that's why not we get all this thing they're not winning well, well yeah i mean but it's like you see this stuff even like when the team is like you know if they're trailing or it's a tie game and they almost seem to be going at almost like turtle mentality like oh we don't want to go behind by two point two goals do it now we but i mean i think that's definitely why like you know, some of the, you know, defensive, more defensive minded players kind of get like spotlighted more or say like, hey, like, you know, you have to CC line. Oh, this is how well they're doing and stuff like that. It's just because it's like the system is catering to that sort of player and style. And, you know, it is kind of hard to tell, like with some of these players, like, hey, we have, you know, Robertson Heights and Pavelski that are you know, kind of sounding off. But, you know they would have a higher ceiling or they'd be producing more in a more offensively minded system or heck, even if you had something where, like you're saying, if you kind of just balance the roles a bit, I think you kind of you know, good teams and, and good coaches, they kind of play to the strengths of their players on their roster. And they're going to say like, Hey, you're not a defensive player. You know, that's fine. I'm going to put you in positions or I'm going to do the best I can to make the use of your offensive talents and find different ways to kind of overcome those defensive shortcomings. You know, I don't feel Dallas does that. I think Dallas, you know, it's kind of the mindset of, all right, you got to teach all players to play this defensive game. And so it's a lot harder to teach offense than defense or to get production out of that. So what you have is your offensive players are, you know, not producing as much because they're worried about defense. And then your defensive players aren't able to score more to compensate because, let's face it, they're just not scorers. Yeah. And then you wind up in situations, and I, let's pivot into, because you mentioned it, so, you know, the last two games, Dallas is, you know, they one and one and honestly, it's been a pretty good stretch, right? They'd won four before, they'd won four on the trot, and then St. Louis happened, and then they rebounded with a win over the Kraken. So there, there's an alternate universe when, where Dallas is, what, at six games, um, six games in a row, including a couple of real beauties, but of course, that's not the case because they they tossed one away, tossed a couple points away against St. Louis, and and we'll all vent for just a second, just just a very quick round robin. So that that one was on. Uh, Miro got tripped, right? And, and he had a stick grab. So yeah, yeah. So we, we can we can accept and throw it into the universe our outrage, and it's it's one of those we we got into this. Um, you know, I think there was a very interesting conversation on Twitter among Stars fandoms talking about the the venting over the St. Louis game and the the conflicting viewpoints of 
you know, as fans, we were very angry because the referees had a very tangible outcome or a very tangible hand in the outcome of that game. And it is infuriating to have that happen. On the flip side, there there was definitely a camp that was having difficulty mustering the same level of outrage because how many times have we seen the stars do that before anyways? And then of course you had the third camp, which is, which is the, you know, why not both kid? Uh, and kind of talking about what is it about this team that is so content to concede initiative late in games and expect things to work out? <laughs> I mean, I I think the one good thing that could come out of St. Louis is that this team has not been very passionate up to this point. I think it's been part of the problem with their performance. And I would really like the team to get a little chip on their shoulder as a result of that and, and just say, fuck this. This yeah, is, you you say that, but they got out chanced. I think it was nine high danger chances to nothing against the Kraken in the third period last night. The Kraken, who are terrible. Yeah, but did did you were you ever really worried? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> they, uh, it's actually yeah. to always be worried. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, what is what is more? And then Tyler David will pull you back in as well. What is more Dallas Stars than? having a heartbreaking game arguably taken from you reacting with stick banging and anger and screaming and yelling, and then going out against a worse team and doing the exact same thing. And yes, they had a different result because they were up more, but keep in mind, like they let the Kraken get to within a goal that the, the, the Dallas stars did not you know, the, the, the the commentators were talking about how they were playing with their food and and it's one thing when you're Tampa Bay or you're you know Florida you're, you're at the t- you're you're at the top of the league and you're when you're in tenth place playing the team in fifteenth place what are you doing I wish they would take that sort of anger that they got from the officiating in the St Louis game and direct it at the lack of strategy and tactics whenever they're up a goal. That kind of stuff. And that, that's my thing with bonus. I, I really think he takes an assistant coach's perspective to what should be much more than that, like in the grand like in terms of all three zones. And what Dallas does is they don't defend they don't like turtle up. They don't defend. No, they just flat out concede like concede possession. That's what they do. They just hand the puck over to the other team. They do old school things like defend to shape. And that's ultimately my pro- – like how many times have you seen Dallas get just shredded by the high cycle like they did against New York, Colorado, even if they won the game – won those games? Like it doesn't really matter. I mean that, – and like even if going beyond analytics, like I think that's why this tends to you know, reach that kind of boiling point because the, these teams feel galvanized by that. Why would, why would your opponent not feel just galvanized by the fact that you get the puck more – you're going to get a ton of chances, win or lose, and you have a chance, even if it's I mean, a shitty chance like it was against Seattle. I'm going to I'm going to date myself a little bit, but does anybody else remember when once the the Mark Crawford era Dallas Stars, once they really got to flailing and things really the bottom really started falling out, he had you know, the, he, they, they'd lost the game. He's giving a press conference and he trotted out the yeah, but they're bad shots answer. When the team was consistently getting, and it's, it's just amazing to me that this is something that didn't fly, you know, what, God, how old am I? 15 years ago. And we're hearing bonus trot out this, the, philosophically, the team is doing the same thing now. I mean, I think that's, again, it kind of comes back to philosophy and structure and it's just this unwillingness to, to waver almost like you kind of think. You know, my issue with the takeaway, if you're talking about like the St. Louis game, is like, yeah, like there's frustrations. You could get angry about it and you could like direct that somewhere. But what it feels like the stars do or what they did was basically say, oh, well, what we were doing worked. We just got screwed over by the refs in the last minute. So, you know, cue the Kraken and they do the same thing. And that seems to be their kind of their mentality of when things don't go well for the system. It's like, uh, the past several years, like this day back, several head coaches, it's kind of like, oh, well, when the system, you know, doesn't work out well, well, you're just going to lose some games. You got to just stick with it. 
And then when you try something new and it doesn't work, it's like, ah, see, I told you it didn't work. And it's like, it's just not a good formula to be adaptive. I mean, what we saw with the Stars Cup run, like those first two rounds, uh, the Stars were playing a different style. They were playing a more offensively minded game. They were, against Calgary, Colorado, like they were scoring a ton. And it's because they kind of flipped the styles in order to beat those teams. But then, you know, flash forward to now, and it's suddenly like, it's almost an unwillingly unwillingness to do that. It's like, no, we're just going to play our way. And, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work because it's going to work next time, you know, and basically they're kind of, you know, making things a toss up. And I think that's, it's just not a good formula. And that's why the case with these third periods for stars fans are like so excruciating. Like I almost didn't want to watch the third period last night before, after an immersion, I was almost like, all right, I'm just going <laughs> to put this on. Well, uh, I, I will say though, about making it a toss up. I think that's how you get the home road split. The Dallas stars have, right? Because when you have a line that is as good as the Pavelski line, and when you have the ability to influence matchups like you do when you're playing at home, you can afford to turn it into a toss-up game because more nights than not, if you're at home, the Joe Pavelski line is going to get you the two goals you know, or whatever that you need to win those coin flips, right? We've already talked about You could say that that's reductive to the rest of the lineup and it's not ideal usage and all of those things are true. But you know, at home, you can probably get away with it, which this team is. And then on the road, you can't get away with it, which is how you wind up with a team that somehow has one of the best lines in the sport and is sitting in 10th place on the outside looking in in the playoffs. But don't worry. Rick Bonus knows what's wrong and is going to fix it. Well, yeah. I'll tell you and, and what's I, wrong. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the issue I have mainly with it is that it, it's, a, it's a turtle, but there are teams out there that know how to turtle and still have a, a threat. And so the Dallas doesn't have this here where if you make a mistake on offense, well, well, we're, well, we're in our shell, we're going to come back and we're going to bite you. And Dallas is more along the lines of you, 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 you're, you're going to make a mistake and we're going to throw it down to your end where, where your goaltender can put it on a tee so you can come right back at us. Sigh. Yeah. Sigh. <laughs> hey, I, I'm going to segue us to Klingberg a little bit yeah. here. Yeah, I was going to say, brighten, que- brighten us up. Let's talk John Klingberg. With, well, let, let, <laughs> let's talk. I have a question. Have, have we stealth moved back to Klingberg and Lindell with Suter now with Haskinen? I mean, what's old is new, and then this team's all about retread. So, it, it yeah, it does seem like that. that the last two to- games, I, I was looking at the numbers. That, the pairings have changed and nobody said a word. I think there, there was talk about, because uh, there was a uh, sod piece the other couple of uh, days ago talking about bonus wanting to tinker with the defensive pairs. And the way he uh, was going about it was almost shifting up the whole top six because it feels like every quote I've read from bonus recently has been uh, like praising the ground uh, Yanni Hakpa walks on. <laughs> uh, but he did talk about like wanting to like you know kind of tinker with the defensive pairs a bit. But. Well, I I mean I I was going through natural statric and I mean or just take a look at hockey viz or something like that and up up those are the pairings. It, it's not it's not Suter and Klingberg at all. It, it's they're changed and nobody's really mentioned it in the last two games that I've seen. So then let me ask, do you in your opinion having having been the one that noticed the change, why why do you think the change has been made? Uh, because I think Klingberg and, and Suter wasn't giving them what they were needed. It was a bit bad defensively. And, uh, and so you go back to what, you know, work, which is Liddell and Klingberg. I mean, that, that seems to be the way that, that the team operates. Um, the one thing, the, the one thing that I noticed was in the St. Louis game, which was the first, first time I really noticed it, um, I think I, I think Haskin it took a game to get used to it because I think he was expecting in, in several places where he, he thought Lindell was going to be there and no, it was Suter. And so he ended up backtracking to plays and ended up taking a couple penalties even before that slash at the end of the game. So I, there was a bit of an adjustment period there when, when that swap happened. Is it like pseudo demotion for the trade talk? <laughs> 
who knows? I mean, that that's obviously the the hot topic right now. And, and you know, yeah, it's 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 definitely on everybody's mind, and, and it it's it is going to be a cert. It's certainly going to be a look if the Dallas Stars take the ice next season, having in effect chosen you know Ryan Suter and Yanni Hockenpah over John Klingberg. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to try to respect the fact that there are a lot of other people on this on this podcast. So I'll try to keep this short, but it's not going to be. And <laughs> I, I think my my thing here is if you have a vision and that vision is to contend, then Klingberg has to be a part of that. And this is like separate from whether or not Klingberg is worth his future contract, because, you know, players are not worth it all the time. We see Dallas as an example. Sutter's not worth his contract. Lindell isn't. Radulov isn't. Um, and there are moments where they are, but there's rarely a perfect contract. And right now, Klingberg is one half of the only thing making Dallas's blue line assertive and capable of generating like hard offense. And so if Klingberg walks and leaves a hole in the blue line because Dallas couldn't commit to a vision that was able to capitalize on Ben Sagan and Klingberg's prime because they flip flopped on that vision and then put Klingberg in a situation where he couldn't maximize his skill te- skill set. And now we're pretending to be surprised when his results reflect that. I don't. I mean, how am I supposed to trust Dallas to make smart decisions with him when they couldn't? Uh, when they couldn't make smart dis- or I, I totally screwed up the wording on that. But you get what I'm trying to say. Like a top ten defender in scoring since 2014, their highest point per game blue liner in franchise history. And now you're gonna throw up in your hands in the air like it's out of your control. Get the fuck on out of here. Yeah. Any anybody that. Anybody that tries to push the line, even with Suter, anybody that tries to push the line, well, they they just can't get it done. Is just look at Cap Friendly, right? That that's insane and inaccurate. Dallas absolutely has the space. Really, honestly, Dallas has the space to get it done and also get their business done <clears throat> with the likes of Henson, Gurionov, and Robertson down the line. Like there's just there's no world in which this is a must choose, right? Sophie's choice on the blue line. It's it's. <laughs> The right, you know, it's it's do they want to, and it's the term, and yeah, eight years for this player, he's not, it's not going to end well, but never does. But yeah, anybody that's trying to sell you that this is a necessity decision is pushing a, a pushing a company line. Let's just say. Yeah, and, and I feel like the because uh, there's two different ways. There's two different ways to look at that. There's one of it is to try and look at it from a like as you mentioned, like a cap space, like because. The stars have the cap space now. I mean, they can make that work. You get a bit iffy there, where then you're looking at okay, with signing Klingberg, you know, how much cap space they're yep. dedicating to the defense because they're already, I think, uh, fifth in the league and you know, defensive spending, maybe six. Uh, and they'd basically be behind just San Jose with a Klingberg extension. Um, so to me, from that standpoint, it's kind of like, a, well, you knew this problem was coming up. You chose, you know, to sign Suter this past summer. You also chose not to sign and uh, not to maybe trade Lindell with his 5.8 million cap hit, you know, before at draft day before his no move clause kicked in. So like if you're worried about, oh, we're going to be spending too much money on our defense, you know, there was ample time to fix that. And then I think there's. The other standpoint, and this is something that uh, Elliot Friedman said in his 32 Thoughts, which I found very interesting, where he thinks the disconnect with the stars is they're looking at, you know, they look at Ben and Sagan long-term eight-year deals, and they're saying, hey, those aren't working out, and so they're having, you know, hesitance, and there's worry there. And to be completely honest, like, you know, I, I think that's fine to have that worry. I think there is a, there are arguments to be made to not want to, extend Klingberg or, you know, worried about that. I just feel like all the positives to keeping him, kind of like what David was saying, it's like they just far outweigh those. If you're wanting to make the most out of this team, if you're out of the players they have, then you really need Klingberg to be a part of that vision because you're not just replacing him. You know, you're not, unless Thomas Harley decides to just suddenly play balls out and, you know, have a complete breakthrough. I mean, you're just not going to replace what he brings to the team. And so I think what's going to happen if you let him walk or you don't resign him is that you're going to suddenly, you're going to be stretching Haskin in too thin, trying to get him to do everything. 
and your entire team is going to decline as a result. And in an effort to, you know, free yourself of, you know, cap space or potential albatross down the line, you're just going to kind of further pivot away from what's actually, what are the things about your team that's working that you need to, you know, keep intact. Well, and I, I think that that's true. And I, I, but the other thing that I would say is looking at and evaluating these contracts based on their ending, I think is not the entire story, right? So thinking about what you just mentioned, them, you know, the the Friedman line about part of the the sticker shock and part of the the thing that the stars are um, <clears throat> worried about is, well, look at how the the Sagan and Ben deals are turning out. Flip side, right? If you don't sign the Sagan deal in 2018, if you don't sign the Jamie Ben extension before that, what what does this that what does this team look like without those players during those years? And yes, you can talk about how bad it might be to sign Klingberg to a max or near max to, you know, an eight year term and how bad years, you know, six, seven and eight might look right. But, and that's fair, but at the same time, don't you also have to be worried about what the stars are going to look like in years one, two, and three. I still think that's a terrible way to kind of look at like in terms of, like the Ben contract, you should have seen power forward wasn't going to age well. Sagan contract, you could not. That was complete accident, just total nobody's fault. So the only thing Dallas should be looking at is how do we think Klingberg is going to perform in the next like four to five years? Can he help us win? Is he going to contribute to the future core? And and maybe like lastly, how do we think his game ages out? in comparison to the Petrangelo's, the Dowdies, and so on. That's the only analysis Dallas should be doing. Not like, oh, shit, that, that Ben contract, that, that Sagan contract. Well, and, like I, and I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm even taking it one step further, and I'm just saying that, so if if we take Dallas at their word, right, and and what they what the, the language that the team uses is that we are in a window and this roster is competitive now, and there are certainly aspects of this team that seem to back that up, right? If we take them at their word, then – let, you know, let 2028 worry about 2028, right? Like, what does this team look like next year without a player of John Klingberg, Klingberg's abilities on the blue line? And then that's that's where you start, right? Okay, if, if they remove him, what does the transition game look like? Who's the right-handed option on the power play? How do the line combinations change? Who gets the puck to the forwards that you'll presumably, you know, where do you spend the money that you save? Okay, and then then that to me that's where the decision has to start. And unless you're saying the plan isn't to let's the if, unless you're saying the plan isn't to compete next year, maybe the plan is a soft rebuild. And yeah, we can probably the stars can probably survive a year or two, a little bit in the wilderness before you know Heinz and and you know Robertson will still be there. Gary Onif will continue to develop some other pro. You know, maybe if if you're saying that the plan in the immediate term isn't to compete, then sure, the back half of the Klingberg contract matters a lot more. But and I think this is a lot what you're getting at, David. If if you're saying that that the team is competitive now, then to some degree you, you keep your elite assets. And you let the the future worry about the future. Well, just, I, I, I go go ahead, David. Okay, sorry, Mark. Just one last thing. I just wanted the last thing I was going to say. Like, I I think the question is: Is this organization smart enough to replace Klingberg? Because I think there's a world where that can happen. You look at orgs like Toronto and Carolina, Car- Carolina, <laughs> Carolina, like <laughs> Toronto lost Zach Hyman, built him in the aggregate. Michael Bunting, great sign-in, uh, has more points than Ben Sagan, by the way. Andre Kashe, great sign-in. Nick Ritchie, less great, but still, they built him in the aggregate. And Carolina did the same thing with Hamilton, brought in underrated, underrated right-shot defenseman Ethan Bear, and crappy person, great offensive defenseman Tony D'Angelo, and built him in the aggregate. So do we honestly think Dallas is smart enough to rebuild Klingberg? in the way that Toronto and Carolina did with players they lost who were essential or what they thought were essential. Yeah. Well, and I, I'll take, I'll take this in a different direction too. Is It's like, if you, if your mind says that you don't want to bring John Klingberg back and, and this is the one true offensive defender that we have, then what in the world have we been doing in the draft for the last couple of years? Yep. Because everything that we've, Everything that we've shown in the draft is that we're going smaller, we're going skill, we're going guys who can put the puck in the net, we're going speed, and 
Klingberg, especially the first four or five years of that, when these guys are coming up as young, um, Klingberg is going to be great for that. And so if you don't sign Klingberg, you're just saying we drafted a bunch of guys who could really use to have an offensive defender who can get them to puck, get them to puck in places where they can put it in the net. And we're going to dump him. And you know, as much as you may like uh, Harley or, or Haskinen, their offensive games are different than Klingberg's. They don't really drive the offense. They drive. They drive getting into the offensive zone. They're 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 great puck movers, but they aren't necessarily great distributors of the puck. Yeah, and I think I think that's just a great way to look at things because it's not just what does Klingberg do for the players on the roster now. It's those players who are about to take the next step up, you know, and I, I think Dallas, we are talking about, they're worried about maybe eight year deal, max term, how he looks down there. I, from my standpoint, if Klingberg, if you can, if Klingberg doesn't, you know, fall off a cliff, but is he able to do what he do, has been doing for the past several years, if he's able to do that for three more seasons, let's say after yep. three seasons from now, he is suddenly drops off. He's a dead weight. Oh, Three seasons from now, after this season, in a 2025-26 offseason, is when Ben comes off the cap, when Foxa comes off the cap, when Lindell comes off the cap, when Suter oh, comes off the cap. So if you think, if you're worried about that long-term thing, how that goes and things, if you can just get three years, three yep. great years out of Klingberg remaining, if that's all you have, then the cap will solve itself. And I think that's, you have to look at that as a, okay, the players we have right now and these, you know, skilled players that we've been drafting that are going to be making their debuts in the next, you know, three years or so. I think that's the mindset you've got to approach it. And from that standpoint, you know, there's really no reason they shouldn't be getting this done. Right. And, and, and to tell you, to tell you the truth, I think that's why it's so scary for the organization, because I think signing Klingberg is kind of a proxy for a commitment to bringing in the new players, the the new skilled, smaller, faster players, and if you don't, you if, certainly don't if have you the do coach sign Klingberg, you, you're <laughs> yeah. If you do sign Klingberg, you're back end kind of committing to do that, and and so is that where they want to go? Their comfort zone is certainly uh, not that. It's it's to bring in some uh, some free agents who who have some seniority on them and are going to kind of keep them mediocre for the next year or two. And mm, that's a comfort zone. So how do we get out of that? And, and so signing, signing Klingberg means that this is going to be a different team moving forward and they're, they're, they're money committed to doing that. I mean, the, the, yeah, the one aside I'll make is that whenever you want you, there are a lot of, of rational complaints you can make about Jim Nill's tenure as GM of the Dallas stars, but his, his management of the salary cap and, and not, not necessarily the specific deals that compose the salary cap, but his management of when Dallas needs money and when Dallas has money is, is the Zach Galifianakis playing blackjack in, in the hangover scene. And that you're right, every just looking even even in the current state, right? Every time this need this team needs money, something falls off. Every single time. So again, if they if they want to sign between, you know, Pavelski and Radulov alone, right, gives them the room that they probably need to get something done with Klingberg, right? That this team has the money. I think it's 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 that philosophical point. It's that does this team realize do do they want to be the team that needs John Klingberg? One, is that the best version of the Dallas Stars? Two, and three, if if it is true, if if yes to one and two. Is is this team as an organization capable of realizing the best version of this team, which is the version of this team that has John Klingberg on its blue line? Yeah. I mean, my answer to that is yes, but I'm not, you know, cutting the checks. I was just going to say, I think that's kind of the thing. I know we're kind of wrapping this up, but I think that's one of the things that I think I think Neil is a good GM in certain things. But mm -hmm. I think his biggest problem has been the sort of lack of nuance and player evaluation, like missing Nichushkin's defensive development, which is really shown under Montgomery or like, you know, replacing Cogliano and Dickinson instead of proven offense. And now the influence of bonus system style and really like signature on Klingberg's bottom line in terms yeah. of like production and performance. 
with with better coaching along the way, John Klingberg is probably a lot less of a question mark heading into this contract. I do think coaching has been a blind spot of this um, of this management, and you can argue who you know you can argue what influence exi- existed, but I, I still don't think even Monty had some didn't get a chance to finish out. But this this team this this owner this leadership group has never landed a coaching hire. Sigh. Yep. So we'll just end it on we'll end it on a quick uh, quick prediction, and, and Mark, I'll put you on the spot first. Um, you know, the, do they do they get the Klingberg deal done? Uh, in my mind, they have to, and and I I'm going to be struggling if they don't. It's going to be hard to root for the team that that shoots them in the foot, shoots themselves in the foot that way. How about you, Tyler? I, I'm I'm pessimistic. I, I'm thinking. He, they don't deal him at the deadline. Uh, I'm going to go full pessimistic. I think they don't deal him at the deadline. They miss the playoffs, and then he walks in free agency. I, I uh, think they absolutely, like they absolutely need to get it done. But I just don't see it done, and I just don't see it happening. David, please don't have a more depressing take than Tyler just did. No, I, I think, I think so. Kling, I don't think a deal gets done. I think Klingberg walks in free agency precisely because Dallas does what they've always done. This win now disease mentality of like, well, he can, I, we may get the playoffs and he's going to help us get there. He does. They get out in the first round. Who cares? They're not going to win the Stanley cup and Klingberg's prime is wasted. Oof. I I'm in the Mark camp. I think they get this done. I think it's posturing. I think they, um, I think they sign him and um, we'll just have to see. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think he's going to get uh, he's going to get something close to maybe maybe they maybe they peel off a year. Maybe they peel off a little bit of cash. But I, I just from the I, I don't know, I just I see it. I think it gets done. I've, I saw them. I saw that, you know, I saw I remember the angst around even going as far back as I remember the angst around getting Madonna done, getting Ben done, getting Sagan done. I think this team always finds a way to land the guys they want to keep. And despite the noise and the quiet, I think at the end of the day, they do they do want to keep clean. Part of that is my own personal. I don't want to live in a world where this team doesn't see his value. So I'll be gutted if I'm wrong. But I, I think they find a way. He's the fourth most used defenseman. Time on ice wise. Just, just throwing it out there. Sorry. <laughs> Does this mean the uh, the listeners are the tiebreaker? They will be. Yeah. So hit us, hit us up, tweet at us, um, reach out via comments on the site. We are all here accessible. We're always listening. Uh, thanks, guys, for the the podcast, KT. Thanks for for stitching it all together, and uh, thanks for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.